0: All right, now that we're finally in a city, I want to go spend my money. All right, so I want to go to the magic shop.
1: Okay, sounds good. Um, so, after asking around for some directions, you find yourself in a dimly lit and thin alleyway. Uh, about five minutes walk down the alley, and you come across a crudely hand carved sign that reads Minky's Miracles.
0: Okay, awesome. I'll go inside, and I want to see if they have a bag of tricks, uh, preferably brown if they have it.
1: Okay. So Minky kind of scratches his head for a second as if he's thinking. He uh, goes back into the back, and he comes back out holding a large brown bag of tricks tricks for you.
0: Perfect. Awesome. Um, I would also like to buy uh, some enchanted caltrops and a bag of holding and a plus three weapon uh, with fire. Uh, and a Wand of Resurrection with 50 charges. And I also want to Whoa, pick whoa, whoa,
1: up- whoa, 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 whoa. That is a ton of money. Y- there's no way you can afford that. You're only level five.
0: Oh, no, I, I can afford it. I did the math last weekend.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I assure you, that's impossible.
0: Well, no, because I-, I looted all of the dead players, like when they died. And I haven't had to use a single health pot in the last year and a half. <laughs>
1: In this episode of Becoming DM, we're talking about using resource limitations to create tension in your games. Hey everyone, this is John.
0: And this is Danielle.
1: And before we get started, just a quick reminder of the contest that we have going on uh, for our big battle mat that uh, that we're giving away. All you have to do is go to becomingdm.com slash ideas and submit an idea for a future episode of the show. So... Uh, st- it's still open. There's still uh, still chances to 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 potentially win this thing. So go out there and submit your ideas.'d love to hear from yeah. you.
0: Let us know what you want to hear us talk about.
1: Yep. So we're talking about today um, basically limiting resources of the players to to challenge them, create tensions, stuff like that. And I, I think that maybe the first place to start is is really what do we mean by resources? So Danielle, you want to get us kicked off there?
0: I think that this is a great topic to cover, um, to start with, because when I first kind of heard the idea of we're limiting resources at the table, I was thinking about my own personal wallet. I was like, oh yeah, you just, <laughs> I don't know, tear up pieces of paper. But what we're actually talking about is is things that you can read, like resources in the game. So anything that um, a character has limited use of. Uh, so we, are, we encounter this a lot in all of our games. I'm, I don't imagine you can actually run a game without this, but... Uh, if you think about, well, I was thinking about my money. Think about my character's money. Uh, if you limit a character's money, uh, you you limit the economy and uh, or the player's behaviors and at, they, well, you can change their entire attitude towards money. Um, you know, if they've got, I don't know, eighteen thousand gold pieces in their pocket, number one, remember that's heavy, and number <laughs> two, <laughs> and number two, they're probably going to be a little bit more careless and reckless with how they spend their money. And so it's going to affect how they play,
1: yeah. the the amount of money that they have really is going to seriously change how they approach the game because it it, it can be something as simple as the things that they buy. but it can also be um a little bit more nuanced to so the the jobs that they're willing to take with their character, like, Oh, that one's not that that not worth worth enough to me. I already have this pile of gold over here. It really has to be something big and important for me to even want to get involved. If that's yeah. the thing that motivates them.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Especially like when you've been saving it. Like when you've been saving up for so long and you keep opening up your um, whatever, whatever reference material you're using to like eyeball this item that you really yep. really want to buy, and the longer that they have to save up for it, number one, the more sweet that item is going to be to them, and number two, it it, uh, well, actually, it's just it's just about how sweet it is. I just i got <laughs> i got overwhelmed with the idea of like because I remember happening to like save up to buy like the thing that I wanted, and uh, I'm sure other people can relate, and it feels so good even when it's in D and D.
1: Yep. Or well, and I, I don't know if, I i mean, I know that my players do this. I'm sure that yours probably do too, but I will hear them talk amongst each other and like, yeah, I'm saving up for this item, whatever. And, and I'm, I'm like this far away from it. And, I, and as soon as I get that, I'm going to go buy it. And it really kind of, for me as a DM clues in what they're getting excited about as part of the game. And, and we can either, Again, is the DM choose to accelerate that or or slow down the path to that? If it's something that we think is going to make them like build the excitement uh, going forward?
0: Oh, absolutely! And those conversations are also good to listen to um, because it gives you really, really good ideas about if you want to give them like surprise loot that mm-hmm. you like you you would just want them to be like over the moon about. Um, if you can throw in a couple of the items that you know that they're after and. A lot of times, I don't know why, but I feel like sometimes my players just assume I'm not listening to them. It's like like my entire world is based off of listening to you guys. (laughs) Yeah. And then when you surprise them with something like that, they just, oh, it just sends them.
1: Yeah. So uh, back to some of the resources, Uh, Food and (laughs) Water is one that I feel like Mm -hmm. is probably, at least in the games that I've seen, I've played in, I've run – is one of the resources that is least tapped uh, as a way to um, kind of add some depth to the game because a lot of players don't want to track rations. Um, Tracking water can be um, unclear as far as how much water you're actually going to go through in a day, especially if you're in an area like a desert trek or something like that. And so I think as a result, it kind of gets left by the wayside. But depending upon the type of game that you're running, it can really add in, um, uh, again, that, that depth, it can add in a sense of urgency and and just kind of make your players a little bit more worried about their safety than just running into a monster on the side of the road.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, you want to make them, well, I guess when you're looking at limiting resources, well, like food and water, um, you're kind of pushing them into an area where they might have to start making some tough decisions, especially with the threat of running into a monster, um, which is also where you get into another type of resources, which is your, your character's spell slots and ability slots, right? Absolutely. So... When considering this type of item, it's it's anything that you have a limited number of uses of per um, long rest or short rest or, or whatever is considered a resource. So, like, I can swing my axe all day long. I can do that until I'm blue in the face. But I can only use uh, Barbarian's uh, Rage, right? Uh, let's say three times a day. So that becomes a resource. They have to manage that because they can only go up to three. So they can't just do it all day long.
1: Yep. And and obviously the 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 spells and spell slots is a, a really easy thing to call out there because spell casters can only cast a certain amount of spells per day. Sure, they have cantrips and things like that. <laughs> but when we're talking about like the big, powerful spells, um, it, it's going to be limited. So uh, it's it's something important to keep in mind.
0: Mm-hmm. And so with wizards and, and uh, casters, I guess you should just call them casters. With casters, they're worried about spell slots and, and such. But then you also, as much as you can, swing an axe all day long, uh, shooting bows and crossbows. There is another uh, resource. I, I I haven't had many players who enjoy tracking their bolts and their and their arrows. Uh, it's not something we really get into, but it is a resource that you can limit or add scarcity to to affect your game.
1: Yeah, I you know I in the Pathfinder game I'm running, I ha- I have one player who is heavily uh, bow focused. And he decided to track his ammunition on his own. I didn't ask him to. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, great. If you're going to do that, that's awesome. Um, because it's one less thing that I have to necessarily worry about tracking. And if I if it was completely up to me, I may not have tracked it at all. So.
0: Oh, I, I, I totally get that. Usually I just make make uh, the deranged people because bows and crossbows like the bolts sorry the bolts and the arrows they're so cheap right yeah it's like what a gold piece for 20 of them and by the time that your characters are level three they've got more than enough money for that and so I'm just like I don't know throw five gold at it and I'll never ask you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well but the
1: the thing to keep in mind though is that is that that stuff does take up space and and wait and sure you may be able to care you may be able to buy um, five uh, corals worth of, of, uh, of arrows, but how are you going to, ca- how are you going to carry that? And if mm-hmm. you can carry mm-hmm. it, it's not going to be easily accessible. So even like, even if you have them, you may not have them accessible during the battle that you're in right then. So
0: oh, definitely. all interesting and you,
1: and you things. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of interesting things that you can do to, um, even if somebody, if it's a, an inexpensive resource um, can still be a, a resource that, that, uh, that needs to be, um, that, that can add some challenge there. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of inexpensive resources, <laughs> <laughs> um, time I think is one of the best resources that, that we as DMS have to, to, um, to limit, uh, characters because, um, it, they they have to make choices in a fairly fairly short period of time, accomplish tasks, and we'll get into this a little bit more later. But I think that it's one of the um, one of the things that you can add in a limit without really the players necessarily taking overt notice that you're putting a limit on the game. It's just there, it, like this is the time I have to do it in. Let's let's get it done, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it's not something that really like stands out, and you don't really feel boxed in by the DM when it happens. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you're just like oh the wait I I blame the the BBEG right where you're like oh it's it's Gorgrim's fault that I have two days to do this I don't know
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and I think the last the last resource that that. I, I think is fairly obvious, and that that hopefully everybody's using. If you're playing this game, is hit points because because once you're <laughs> once you're out of them, uh, game over. Uh, <laughs> as long yeah, as definitely
0: do... an important resource to manage. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> now, before we continue, I think that I think that there's some things that you need to to probably think about before you start applying real heavy resource constraints or real heavy resource tracking and rules to your game, and the The first thing is to really ask yourself the question: Why, why are you, why are you? And I say restricting, but I think it's not just restricting. It's it's tr- requiring tracking or things like that. Um, why are you focusing in on the resources? Is it because you want to run a game world where scarcity is a is a big thing for whatever resource you're talking about? Is it because you're you're feeling like your players are not challenged enough, and this is a way for you to add a layer of challenge? Ultimately, it's up to you to determine why it is that, that you're looking at doing this. But if you don't have that answer, I think that you, you kind of need to to tap the brakes and really evaluate. It's just like anything else you would add to the game. What is this bringing to the game? Is this going to be going to add fun? Is it going to add challenge? Or is this just another bit of of bookkeeping that people are going to have to do at the table?
0: Yeah. And you also, so like you have to ask yourself why you're doing it. You also have to know exactly which resources that you're planning on, uh, limiting or tracking, uh, however it is that you're going about it. Um, because if you just say, I'm going to do all of it, uh, this just becomes a, ge- becomes a game of bookkeeping. There's actually so many different things that you can keep track of constantly because this is a real life, um, uh, simulation, right, for six different people, and you are the planet. So when, <laughs> when you're... <laughs> this a, that's how I kind like define uh, being a DM. It's like, I'm the planet. Like, if I'm going to make them track their food and water, I have to track, like... Well, I don't know. Technically, I don't have to. Anyways. I, but, who was so,
1: so, so, yeah, if you track food and water, you as the DM have to understand how much they might go through in a time period and tell them, because... They're not just gonna know necessarily. I mean Well, yes, that's for- the other
0: thing. Right? You will get questions like how much water is in my wet skin? Yep. You know? And like-
1: and you're like, uh thirteen sips.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sips. Well how what what's my hydration percentage after twelve <laughs> sips? <laughs> and so it, this brings another layer of stuff that you also need to plan into the game. Stuff that you need to start tracking, even though it kind of sounds like you're um, adding stuff for them to track, it will eventually become your responsibility, anyways. Um, whether by questions or by research.
1: Yeah, and uh, and where where um, resources come into play as a core part of the game, you you do need to make sure that your your players are on board for that type of game because a lot of a lot of players they want to go fight monsters and and maybe solve a, a mystery or something like that. They don't really care about, um, about like, do I have enough water? Do I, do I have uh, enough food? Um, all of this other, uh, other stuff they may not care about and they may not want as part of their game. So as with everything that we talk about, keep your players in mind uh, before you make any sort of major decisions to, to change up how you're doing the game.
0: Oh, definitely. Especially if you're planning on like the entire campaign being like that. It's like you guys are going to be stuck in the desert for the next, I don't know, 18 years. I don't know how long your campaign is. And so you're going to be <laughs> tracking water constantly and needing to figure out how to build solar distilleries. You know, um, you're definitely going to want to talk to your players. Uh, but if it's just like for a round or two... Um, I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be like. Are you okay with tracking your water for like, <laughs> a, you know, one or two days? Like they get trapped somewhere or whatever. That can add a little bit of threat and also something that they haven't thought about. But if you are planning on doing that, be like, oh, I could trap this in the, in them in this room, and you know, oh, I can I can put a strain on their food and water. Uh, you might also want to find out beforehand, like before you enact one of these plans, how much of said resource that. Uh, they're carrying with them, especially if this hasn't been something that you've been tracking to date, because they yep. might not have any track of it, and be like, "Oh, I don't know, I just assumed that I ate every day." It's like, well, you should at least write down five rations or something on your sheet.
1: Yeah, well, and and you did call out something that I think is kind of interesting with this. Just because you are using um, you're using this kind of resources uh, framework in. A part of your game does not mean you have to adopt it for everything. Sometimes, it is the contrast that that makes the biggest difference. So maybe where they're usually traveling, there is no problem with food and water and time and whatever. But they come into a new area and it's bare. It's a barren wasteland. It's it's hard to travel around in. Um, they can't stay there for long, and you. So you you're introducing all of these constraints as part of where they're at and it, i think it makes it even stand out more potentially rather than like the humdrum doldrums of 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 tracking my rations when i could just go out and hunt at night for instance
0: oh definitely um and sorry i, ha- I had a thought while you were saying that but Another thing is is, uh, foreshadowing. That's the word I was looking for. A little bit of foreshadowing can go a long way. So you were talking about somebody like walking into a desert, right? And so as they're getting into this environment, you can start describing how hot it is or the fact that that they're... I know I keep defaulting back to food and water, but I'm thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can start describing, it's like, oh, you're 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 feeling super parched. Uh, you reach for your wet skin for the third time in the same hour. You know, you can kind of start dropping hints so that your players might be like, oh, we should maybe like find some water before we keep going. Or, you know, like collect something, plan something, maybe have somebody take a rest and prepare a different spell, you know, that kind of thing. But, a little bit of foreshadowing and then your players don't feel like you kind of just threw something at them.
1: Right. Yeah. So a, a good example of this, I was, um, in part of the campaign from a while ago that I, that I'm running, they, they went to this town that was basically on the edge of a desert. And as, as, um, they're walking through town, there are people that are recruiting water carriers who will basically go out to bring water out to settlements in the desert because this town is kind of on a, on a river. And so they're, they're collecting water and they're taking it to the desert because they cannot survive without this stuff. And it becomes very clear that when you leave the town, um, that, that water is, is a non-existent resource unless you bring it with you. And so, um, they, they understood very quickly, like, we have to prepare for this thing before we go out and do something.
0: I really love that as like the mechanism to, to convey that information. That's, that's an awesome way to get that across. Well, thank
1: you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it does because it adds like it adds another layer to the realism of the game. Instead of just having the environment, like like the physical Mother Nature environment, um, acting upon the characters. You have that, plus you have people and situations all folded. I, I just think it's great.
1: Yeah. So let's maybe talk about um, each of these kinds of resources and where we as DMs might put our thumb on the scale to make them more important in our game. Uh, make them potentially matter more uh, and make them more of a challenge for, for players. And I think that the the easiest place to start is money because it is, I think one of the easiest things that, that, that can be done to restrict because you control how much money they mm-hmm. get from doing things. So it's pretty easy to say, yeah, you killed the guy. He's got like three copper instead of, instead of five gold or whatever that may be. Uh-huh. So so I think that I think that just simply awarding less cash as um, either as a result of an, an encounter or the the completion of an arc or job or whatever is really the first way that you can kind of breed in some scarcity there.
0: Mm-hmm. And I just to throw this out there, I've had a lot of players over the, over the history when you start to try to restrict money. Um, a lot of times I've noticed that people will start doing a lot more to get money. And mm-hmm. one of the most common things I see is every time that they take out anything, they start harvesting, right? Anything that can be harvested. <laughs> yeah, I, want yeah, yeah, I, mean. <laughs> I want to take its
1: spleen out because I think I can sell the spleen of this owlbear to, yeah. to, to and, the apothecary in the, town.
0: <laughs> they'll just start grabbing just the weirdest things. And so um, a really good out for you as a, as a DM or a GM when this starts happening, is they just fought it. They just killed it. Um, there's going to be lots of cuts, um, bruising, damage, and you use that damage um, as the reason why. Like Think of the RPG like video games that you play. You kill the knight in shining armor and then you go to loot him and all he has is two dewberries and a gumdrop, right? It's like, well, where's the armor that he it was got, wearing? And it, it the sword up. <laughs> he was stabbing me with. It's like, well... You, you, they were they were damaged beyond repair, and your character knows. Yes, it's worth two hundred and fifty gold, but it's going to cost two forty five to repair it. So, yep. use that.
1: Yeah, and and so I know that there are a, a fair amount of DMs that, that are out there that that uh, use published campaigns, published one shots, and so um, a, a lot of those already have defined. Um, commerce mechanisms built into them that, that like, Hey, when you, when you complete this encounter, you get this stuff. And, um, the the couple of like simple ways to do with that, to keep it in a similar ratio is you can downstep the, um, the, uh, the currency type. So if they have electrum, it steps down to gold pieces. If they have gold pieces, it steps down to silver pieces and that is reducing it by a factor of 10. If that's too much, you can always say, all right, I'm going to reduce by a percentage. Maybe I'm going to reduce by 50% or or whatever. And so if you get 10 gold, you get five gold instead or whatever. Um, just a couple of ways that, to, to do it. You can also just choose whatever the heck you want and and change out the treasure uh, all, all told. But if you're looking for kind of a, a way to... Um, uniformly balance across the entire uh, entire adventure module. That's that's one way to look at doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Another way that you can do it is, is just to increase all the prices, right? And you don't have to do this arbitrarily. Um, so it, it could be like a scarcity in the world itself. Like they go to the town and I want to buy a health pot that's usually, I don't know, 50 GP, gold pieces, and, uh, it's, well, it's like actually, these are the last four in all of town, right? Yeah. And, uh, so because we know that we can sell them for that supply and demand, we're charging 200 GP, whatever it is that you want to charge for it. Um, and so by increasing the prices, um, Number one, a nice thing about this is that you give you give an opportunity, if you raise them beyond where you would regularly want to raise them anyways, you give an opportunity for those high charisma characters to uh, wheel negotiate. and deal a little. <laughs> yeah, negotiate. Everybody loves that. Um, or at least the players who make characters who like doing that, like that,
1: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> and uh, and so they can wheel and deal from this uh, exorbitant price that you put on it, and you can drop it down back to the level that you actually wanted it at to start with. And, yeah, uh, and you can. Oh yeah,
1: I was to say if you if you do this, it doesn't have to be a wholesale. Like one day it's it's one price, and one day it's five x that price you can have things going on in the world that are creating the scarcity that cause a a gradual uplift in, in the cost of these. Um, I did this in, in my world where, um, the, the, uh, their, their main nemesis was, was basically buying up all of the, all magical stuff that they could find. And, and so things even like healing potions were, were gradually getting more and more expensive just because they were no longer on the market to be had. Um, And, and so it wasn't like one day it was 50 and the next day it was 500, but, but one day it was 50. And then the next time they went in, it was like 75. And they're like, well, what's going on? I got this for 50 last time. Oh yeah. Uh, like there's really not much coming through anymore. And then the next time, maybe it was 125. Like, holy crap, what's going on? Oh, I heard that somebody's buying up all this stuff. So it's a, it was, it was a good way to also seed in details about what was going on in the campaign story that they weren't privy to because they weren't seeing it firsthand.
0: Oh, uh, exactly. You just, just do the slow feed of information and uh, and they get to figure that kind of stuff out. And again, breathing life into the world. And I just, I dig that. Um, but yeah, as long as they like obviously you don't want to hugely jump them up unless something, you know, wild has happened. You're like a... Yep. Uh, hurricane or big fire something like that but um to do it slowly and gradually especially in a way that like the pcs um are exposed to especially when you can tie it to to the bad guy of the area or part of a campaign or quest that you want them to go on because i'll tell you one thing that will motivate a party is when you're like hey guess what so this thing you've been saving up for and it was two thousand gold pieces and you finally have it because of this guy over here, the price of that is now three thousand, and you don't have enough money. That will be so so motivating to your party.
1: <laughs> yep. Uh, another thing that you can do with with the scarcity is if there is when when players are looking to buy things, keep in mind the area that you're in. So uh, we keep on going to the desert, but I think it's a it's a, an easy way to to talk to this. If you're in a desert things like arrows are probably going to cost more if there's no trees around or or any wood analog to make those arrows with. Maybe they've found some desert plant that they can make it from, but maybe not. And and if not, that, that's a perfectly reasonable reason why arrows should no, now no longer be what they cost, but maybe two, three, four, five X. Um, and again, yeah. arrows are not super expensive, but at the same time, players will be like why am i paying so much for this
0: <laughs> and what, that the nice part about the the like the i know you, the desert aspect and you have to like bring that in is that that impacts all wooden objects yep. so now your quarter staff that was originally free or whatever the cost is um now it actually costs money because everybody if there is wood it's owned by somebody because it came from a different country or continent or whatever and it's it's high value, and and you can even drop down the value of iron things, yep. um, you know, just due to scarcity, and uh, also increasing the scarcity of magic items. But I think Five E pretty much has that on lock.
1: Yeah, it's just without without really a, a whole lot of uh, magic items in stores, kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, not that not that many. Um, another thing that you can do, just if you're looking at at. Uh, Resource management, like restricting their money, um, is you can give them the money, but you can have encounters that cost them the money, right? Mm -hmm. So you give them that sweet, sweet taste of of all that that little pile of gold pieces, uh, but then you have something happen that causes that to be taken away. So like paying a toll or a fee, um, I heard a story the other day about uh, they had to take a, a boat through like a really, really dangerous land and they didn't own a boat and so they had to rent the boat and pay subsequently pay for the guards that were also on the boat. And so it was very expensive for the party to have to do this.
1: Yep. And maybe they have to bribe somebody um, uh, to give them the information they want. They've tried their uh, their wily, charismatic charms, and they just don't work. And apparently this guy is just waiting for a payday. Uh maybe you have to pay for for what you need. Uh, is is another way that you could potentially siphon that money off from the players.
0: Yeah, and but that bribery that's probably not gonna work if you have a party of murder hobos. So maybe think about that one before you're like, oh no, he'll totally accept a bribe. It's like, I'll bribe you with my dagger. <laughs>
1: yeah, like, I oh. would say I would say any of these situations where we're where we're <laughs> providing additional cost, um, you do you do run the you risk of careful. the players just saying, "Yeah, well, I don't care if you want to charge me this much for the boat. I can murder you and take the boat for myself. And <laughs> I don't care if if you need a bribe. I will murder you, and I don't care about the information. I don't care if you're charging me taxes. I'll just kill you and hope nobody else. Can. I mean, all of these situations can can happen. So just bear in mind and, and understand where." your players minds are at and what they are uh, where that line is because if you go over the line then it's just going to devolve into like i don't care i'm just going
0: to kill them absolutely yeah you have to be careful with with these ones where it costs them money because a lot of times like once they get the money they want the money because they want to turn it into that thing that they've been looking at in the book and so you have to use these sparingly i do think it's good every once in a while to like it'll really get some emotions running from your characters when you, when you start taking away their money. Um, but as long like I give them an option if possible, um, or a chance to recover the money, maybe hide some of it. Um, go after, like maybe somebody robs them and they, they're able to chase them down. Uh But if you were trying to limit money, see, you give them a 1,000 gold pieces, you actually only want them to have 600, but then they get robbed, their bag of gold goes missing, they chase the guys down, they recover 600, right? Yeah. And so... Because it's not like they're just going
1: to take the money and not do anything with it.
0: (laughs) Oh, exactly. And even when they're running away, coins could be spilling out of their pockets, people would be picking them up, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, in that way, you can still kind of get the effect that you want. Also, if you've ever accidentally given them too much gold, another option.
1: Yep. Um, So let's maybe talk about the negative effects of of limiting gold within your your campaign, and then we can move on to the next one. And I think that the number one thing is it's going to encourage the rogues in the party to um, take on that thief role and just steal from every single person that they see. Uh, Mm -hmm. um, Now, if your entire economy is smaller, That means they won't get a lot, but that doesn't necessarily stop someone. If they feel like they don't have enough money to do what they want to do, they're going to take whatever path they see is available to them.
0: Yeah. It's definitely something I've seen happen. Um, almost every single time that somebody makes a rogue character. Uh, and if they, if they feel strapped for cash at all, and usually even if they don't, in my experience, (laughs) um, they'll just start robbing people. And, uh, that's when you need to start you know maybe maybe using alignment to your advantage <laughs> be like, well, <laughs> you do have this but but every rogue that I've ever seen is is uh, chaotic neutral anyways but um another another potential uh negative side effect aside from your rogues running away from the entire party, and that's the other thing is you don't want your entire party sitting there watching the rogue play a game. But another thing that uh, will be a negative side effect is this can actually slow down the entire progression of, of the game and the players, right? Because the players are going to be way more conservative um, because their money has greater value to them because it's more precious, right? You've made it more precious by making it more rare, supply and demand. And I'm not sure how well this translates into Pathfinder. I'm guessing it translates very well. But there's usually... Um, like a defined GP value that a character should have um, in order to get to the next level. Cause yep. it's, it's one thing I know that this was huge in 3.5. This might've been mitigated more so with five E, but if you didn't have X amount of value of magic items, by the time you hit, you know, whatever level level 10, you needed X amount. And if you didn't have that because you were being cash starved or item starved or whatever, you actually didn't have the effective character level um, that you actually should have. And so you can, you'll can you have to manage that and make sure to look that up for whatever game that you're playing, the estimated gold value per level, and, uh, and level them up um, according to that and with that so that they're not just wildly under power. Or even if you are leveling them up, just make sure to adjust your CRs, your challenge ratings, so that yeah. uh, you don't just accidentally murder them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's as big of a, a an issue in 5e, but yeah, Pathfinder, um, first edition for sure, and and three point five is ap- is absolutely something that needs to be considered when you're, especially when you're getting up into into the higher challenge ratings, because there's an assumption that you're going to have magic items to fight these creatures at that challenge rating and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that fifty charge wand of resurrection, you need that. Yeah. That's in your back pocket at all times. Has uh, has the new Pathfinder come out yet?
1: Uh, second edition, yeah, it's been out for a while. Oh. I just, I just have not picked it up. <laughs> oh. <I laughs> I've been keep meaning up on to, things? I just haven't yet. <laughs> uh, I promise. <laughs> have you ever finished running a session of your favorite role-playing game and thought to yourself, "I'm not really sure I ran that the right way," or maybe you just tried out something new in your game and it worked really well, and you want everybody to know about it? If so, you may have the perfect idea for a future episode of Becoming DM. Point your browser to becomingdm.com ideas and fill out our simple form to tell us all about it. You can even let us know that you'd like to be a, a guest co-host for the topic. Submitting your ideas helps John and Danielle relieve pressure on their brains so they can record more episodes. Go to becomingdm.com ideas today to submit your episode idea. Now let's get back to the show. So moving on, if we're talking about um, leveraging food and water resources, and and whether it's resource scarcity, tracking whatever into the world, um, there there uh, are, are some things that we need to consider. First off, your character, your your party is going to be able to carry uh, rations, but even though they may be limited. Um, that can potentially be solved by having the party hunt, uh, especially if you have people with appropriate survival or wilderness checks, um, though it will require additional amount of time. Um, they they can solve this problem by by doing something as simple as hunting. Or if they're high enough level, using a spell like create food and water uh, is, is another way that, that you can get past this, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. And... Like, if your party starts packing a lot of stuff... Well, especially if they run around and they kill something, right? Um, you can limit their... Re- they might not have the supplies to dry and process that kill. Yep. I'm not sure if you've run into this, but how many of your... Like, do you guys have bags of holding in Pathfinder? Yeah. Yeah. How how many players just, like, stuff food in a bag of holding, just assuming that it's Tupperware?
1: Um, I haven't honestly had a whole lot of characters, but I've heard stories. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> so... Tupperware outside of a fridge is still not going to keep your food good. I mean, it's yep. got that's, and 10 minutes of breathing air, but it, it's definitely still not a fridge. Uh, so you can't just load it up with food. And so they can't just be running around with a bunch of raw meat in there.
1: Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> um and then when we talk about things like limited water, um, a lot of that's going to be dependent upon the area that you're in. If you're in, if you're in like a a temperate forest, chances are they can find a stream, a river, or whatever, and and water is not necessarily an issue. Um, the two areas that that I think are are big. Obviously, we've talked about deserts, but I also like the idea of being on a ship. You're in the middle of all this salt water, nothing to drink. And and have to figure something out because, um, while most ships are going to have supplies of water on hand or or something equivalent, if somebody sabotages that boat while you're on it, it makes for a, an interesting story Ooh, that can tie into those resource constraints mean. that you're looking to have. So nice yeah. little uh, side quest while you're while I, you're trying I, to get to the point. That'd, of that'd
0: throw your party right off. It's like <laughs> oh all this water, it's gone now. Ha ha. Um, but yeah, so, but there's, there's still negative side effects to, to tracking like the food and water. And I think like the, the biggest negative side effect of needing to track food and water is that now you need to track your food and water. It's, it's a daily constant, never ending thing. And so tracking food and water can be really labor intensive. And, and in my opinion, um, the only time I ever do it is if it makes sense to do it. Like you're in the desert, track water, um, you're in a cave track food.
1: Yep. Um, and y- you as the DM are going to have to remind them, like, mm. it's the end of day one. You've just <laughs> finished your last part of day one's rations. You drank half a skin of, of water. And and so make sure you track that, gang. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just have like a little dinner bell you ring um, every like, three times a day ding don't forget to eat uh, and as your party runs out of food um a session can quickly devolve into all of your players just like i'm gonna look over here i'm gonna hunt there or, and pretty soon all of a sudden the main story doesn't matter and they they spend an entire session just looking for food and if that's what you're after good job if that's not what you're after and you still want them to you know, push along on the main campaign. Um, this can this can really put a hamper on it, which is where I use the question. Um, and I ask this all the time, so it's not super weird when I... Like, I don't out myself with any plans when I ask it. I say, what's the maximum amount of time you would like to devote to this task? I ask that question a lot because then if nothing interrupts them, that's how much time they're going to spend. And so if... And it, it, it really speeds things along because if your entire party says, I'm spending the next 24 hours guess how much role-playing we just saved
1: um,
0: <laughs> because I know that they're not going to find any food and we can fast-track that full and I can be like, now you are extra hungry.
1: Yeah, and I think that, that asking that question fairly frequently in your game is, is definitely helpful because there's going to be tasks that maybe are difficult to do and you can sit there and have them roll eight, ten times to try and hit the number, but if if it's possible for them to do and just takes time... And just saying, yeah, you're going to work on it for five hours or whatever, and, and it'll be done at the end of it, um, rather mm-hmm. than having a bunch of dice rolls hoping for that magical roll. <laughs> <laughs> um, so moving on, uh, as I said, like spell and ability slot resources, I think is is one that is is going to be used in every game. But I think that this is also one, oddly enough, that is frequently misused and and I want to take a second to to explain that statement. I see a lot of people in the various D and D groups that I am I'm in talk about how their players walk through encounters, and they set these deadly encounters for them, and it's just like nothing, and it's and it's so easy for them. And I think, in in several cases I know, um, that in a lot of these instances, the reason that characters are just walking through this is because we're just basically in a day giving them one big encounter or maybe a couple of small ones and one big encounter and so the the party doesn't have to resource manage at all they're like this is obviously the big the big encounter guys let's lay it all out i'm using all my spell slots and 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 Joe's using all his accent surges, and Tony's using all of his rages, and and we're just going to lay this thing flat and be done. And we know it because we know that the DM only gives us one big encounter a day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, the the DM's guide in, and I, I looked it up in d and I did not look it up in Pathfinder, but the DM's guide in, in, in D&D suggests six to eight medium to hard encounters per day. And so that means between long rests, you're having six to eight medium to hard encounters, which means that players are going to have to bet, better uh, manage those resources, the spell slots, abilities, uh, ability slots, and stuff like that before they get to there. So by the time you get to that big bad at the end, maybe they've used it all, especially if they're used to playing in games where it's just one big encounter. Um, and And then it becomes a lot different than, oh, they just walk through all of my encounters. it It really becomes they have to figure out what the best time to use these things are and when the best time to blast and when the best time to to take your time is,
0: yeah,. Oh, sorry. You-
1: I was saying sorry. I get it. I, this is one that I get a little bit passionate about, so I, I talk a lot about it. So I'll I'll stop now and let you talk.
0: <laughs> no, that's that's fine because I think it is an important. Uh, it's an important thing to to state, especially like with five E recommending that like the six to eight medium to hard c- encounters in a day. Like think about that. Like actually, you know, you and your party are going to spend the next just sixteen hours. Let's spend you spend eight hours sleeping so 16 hours walking from point a to point b and they're going to run into six to eight groups gangs um otherwise mean things throughout that day like (laughs) like that number one that's a lot to plan for the dm and number two i honestly would have never assumed that i had to generate up to eight encounters per day for my party wandering around just to tire them out that's like having a two-year-old
1: yeah, and, and I will say that I don't typically get to eight encounters in a day. But I do I do have several encounters and they're usually of the hard or harder variety um to, to make up for that because that's true. Yeah. You you can you can kind of tweak it one way or the other by by adjusting the difficulty of the encounter as but you do still <laughs> need to have multiple encounters in a day because otherwise it's like, hey everybody, we know that this is it. Let's blow it away and and call it a night. So you just
0: make all the encounters easy and just have them being chased by an entire war band of goblins who don't understand tactics, and so they just keep spent sending like small like assault parties after them all day, and just twenty four encounters. Um, but I am going to say that if if this is something that you've struggled with and uh, and you've kind of just been doing like one big epic fight per day. Um, and your players probably know that and they're probably aware of that. Um, I would not personally recommend all of a sudden jumping up to the six to eight, right? Because your players are not going to be prepared for that, right? So give them their big bad, um... And then, and then throw something else at them and make them kind of start thinking and then do it again and again and kind of up your encounters from there. Uh, but you you definitely want to ease them into this as if this is something that uh, you've had kind of longstanding, everybody's really used to it. Otherwise, you'll probably just nuke your party. If- <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and I think that um, communication here is, is important because you're going to, as a DM, give them clues as to what might be ahead in their in their adventuring day if they're entering a a dungeon you can you can talk about the sounds emitting from the dungeon or the tracks that you see going in there so they have an idea of kind of roughly what the level of resistance might be here and so if they encounter a, a party that looks like it's probably not the whole thing that gives them a clue uh, you're not saying you're not saying, hey guys, there's going to be six encounters in here, just so you know. Uh, and 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 likewise, when you start doing this, and you're and maybe you're doing six to eight encounters, don't always do six to eight encounters. Maybe some days it's four, maybe some days it's six, and and maybe some days it's eight. Like I said, I don't ever do eight, so. Probably never, <laughs> never that, but but don't like don't telegraph your moves that much. So we're like, okay, this is the fourth, this is the fourth encounter. We know that this is the last one for the day. So let's 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 hit it.
0: <laughs> Give it the gusto.
1: <laughs> yeah, just just remember that that like even though you're planning out your world, the world itself is not planned out. So you need to you need to act like it.
0: Yeah, that and your players are watching, and uh, whether they know it or not, they are tracking. Uh, your behaviors, and they get used to them. Yep. And uh, I just want to tack on, so just combining my two things, if you're doing, like, the one big bad, uh, and your players usually, like, just spend everything that they've got fighting this big bad per day, um, just a fun little idea to introduce the the secondary thing. Have it be, like, a really embarrassing enemy to be to be beat by come after that big boss right and so they've they've spent all their resources they've got no abilities no nothing and like six goblins come in with like pointy spears and they're like give us all your money and there's almost nothing you can do about it and uh, I just I just like that and I think someone should do it
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's let's move on and talk about putting time resources and and, and doing time ta- do tracking time in your game, and and we've had an episode, and I cannot remember what episode number it was, or I would provide it right now, where we talked about time in the game. Uh, we talked about things like like having festivals and different type of uh, seasonal things to to show the passage of time. But oh, yeah. and a big thing there was was like including some time limitations on quests. So we need to get this done in eight weeks or whatever. Eight weeks of game time, and so you can't dilly dally and stuff like that. Um, the nice thing about time, I think, is it overlays to a lot of the things that we've already talked about. Um, because if you've got a if you've got a, a tight time frame to beat the bad guy, rescue the princess, find the the artifact that's threatening to destroy the world, whatever, um, and and you also are constrained for gold resources. It's gonna be a lot less likely that you're gonna like go thieving to try and just get some gold just because. <laughs> yeah, it's um, like
0: I've only got fifteen minutes like in game time, I've only got fifteen minutes. I could probably hit up that poor old dude, I guess. I don't know. But they're not gonna get as wealthy from it.
1: Yeah, and, and likewise in the in the food and water um you made the the party may decide yeah we can't we can't go hunt we are we are so tight on time already that um that we we're, we're just gonna have to frankly starve ourselves to get there in time um which again adds to that again it's the choices the players make and and that can also make your uh, encounters more challenging because now they're now they're I don't know what the pro- appropriate condition, and I'm just going to use. Well, I think that they would it.
0: eventually. I was going to say, I think it would land into exhaustion.
1: Yeah. Now they have exhaustion on there, which affects their performance and stuff like that. So I think that that um, that's kind of a cool way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Even with and you. I, oh yeah. I was to say even with uh, with spells and, and actions, right? Time the time uh, constraints can play into that, right?
0: Oh, it absolutely can. Like cer- certain spells and abilities um, or certain amounts of spells and then other certain abilities come back uh, after short rests, like some of them do. And most of them, I think, come back after long rests. But if your party, it's like, okay, so the, um, the volcano is going to erupt in four hours. Uh, your party's probably not going to be like, uh, I would like to nap for all of that. Right. Um, <laughs> Right? Because you've, you've basically removed it as an option. You haven't outright told them, I'm not letting you rest. Sucks to be you. You're saying, no, it's the volcano's fault, not mine. It's going to explode. You can't have a nap. And uh, and it, it kind of forces them to kind of push through that. And maybe they've used up some of their, uh, you know, resources. I'm using air quotes, resources, their spells yep. and abilities. And now they don't have access to those. Um And you can, you can really put people into a tight spot, which is beautiful because if you can raise the tension, if you raise the investment, the amount that your party is like, they're, they're like into it, they're invested, they, they have to be present for it. Um, I think that that's probably one of the most amazing parts about D&D is when you can cause that tension in your players and, uh. And kind of just bring them up on that emotional scale.
1: Yeah, because it it makes them feel like their choices really do matter. Uh, Because I sure I can I can choose to rest here for an hour while the volcano is getting ready to explode. But I know that it's probably going to be bad for me. I can also Mm -hmm. choose to continue on. But I know that I'm not going to have as many abilities as I might otherwise have. And so the road ahead might be more difficult. It's not a great choice that they can make, but it's still a choice that that has absolute ramifications on on the outcomes of their game and and what's going to happen down the line. And I think that's one of the most important and cool parts of, of playing this game is that you get into those situations where your choices really do matter for the outcome. It's uh, not yeah. 100% the roll of the dice.
0: Now, being able to put that agency into a player's hand, it that is like just such a high important priority, I think, um, just just to make D&D just amazing. Well, tabletop role-playing games, amazing.
1: Yep. So I think that is what we really wanted to talk about today. Thank you all for joining us. Um, remember, if you want to enter our uh, our contest, even if you don't care about the contest and you got an idea of something that you want to talk about, Just go to becomingdm.com slash ideas and let us know all about it. We'd love to hear about uh, your ideas, what you'd like to hear us talk about. So we will be back in a couple weeks. And until then, stay stay nerdy, nerdy, friends.
0: friends.
1: Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becoming DM on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. We are becoming DM and our website is becomingdm.com becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.